0: Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is The Hack Podcast. How much different do you reckon TikTok would be without some of your favourite music? Because it could happen. The world's biggest music company could pull the world's biggest songs from TikTok. Because it says it's sick of being taken for a ride. It's sick of artists getting a rough deal. We're going to get into this massive news that's hit the music industry later in this podcast, what it could mean for music trends globally. We'll fill you in. Also, what is happening with the thousands of animals that are right now stranded on a ship off the coast of WA? What's the backstory there? We'll fill you in. First, though.
1: How do you treat wrinkles? This is literally one of the most common
0: questions I get asked on Triple J. Injectables. Stuff like Botox, fillers. Have you done it? Have you thought about it? It is a big decision, but we know a lot of people are diving in. This industry is getting bigger and bigger. But as it grows, so do the reports of dodgy operators. And you might have heard a big crackdown has been announced. The medicines regulator says it needs to keep patients safe and it's bringing in new regulations, but some of the practitioners who are in this industry are saying, actually, it could have the opposite effect. It could put patients at risk. So what's going on here? Shalala Madora explains. Obviously, I went online. When Christine Antonio Clegghorn from
1: Adelaide decided to get work done, She spent months doing her research. I've talked to some friends who've done it, um, joining group chats, and there's a lot of that in the internet, reviews and check um, some clinics around the area. She reckons most people take the time to understand procedures and their risks before undergoing them. People are smart, you know, they they know which, which clinics are good, which clinics to go to based on the informations we gather online. So when Chris heard that the rules around what info patients can get from providers has changed, she was not keen as a client, as a consumer, that is more dangerous because I need to know all this information so that I can can make a decision which are good for me. The changes Chris is referring to are super fresh. Earlier this month, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or TGA, which regulates medicines in Australia, issued a clarification to providers on what they can and can't say. It's become a lot more stricter with the way we can advertise. The cosmetic injectables industry isn't currently allowed to advertise the names of medicines. That includes things like Botox, by the way. But as registered nurse and beauty business owner Larissa Danoon explains, the new rules go a step further.
2: So we've never been able to use the names of medications. We created a
3: bit of like a general term so we could communicate with the consumer. So now those con- those general terms have also been banned.
1: The new rules also state that testimonials and before and after pics aren't allowed. Larissa, whose clinic is in inner Western Sydney, says that effectively silences her industry.
3: Any form of advertising, anywhere where you're speaking to the consumer, that's not in a private clinic room, basically. So it has to be a practitioner and consumer one-on-one as a patient you cannot advertise it anywhere.
1: The changes are particularly targeted at posts on social media, which is one of the biggest ways patients find Larissa's business.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of them do start their journey on social platforms with us. So I'd say a good chunk of it, probably about 70, 80%.
1: So Larissa thinks these changes are bad for her business, but she thinks they're bad for patients too. They're not going to be able to get that information from us anymore.
3: Um, And even if someone was to say approach my business through a social platform. I basically have to say, sorry, I can't tell you. We're not able to be transparent anymore. We're not able to
1: educate properly. In a statement to Hack, a spokesperson for the TGA said,
0: We have seen the proliferation of clinics and other health services advertising specific consultations as a means to obtain a prescription for a particular, often prescription only medicine. The advertisers of these services are frequently promoting the benefits and the availability of these goods which has led to the need for an update to our guidance.
1: All this is happening at a time when the industry is exploding. The industry regulator estimates Australians spend about $1 billion a year on non-surgical cosmetic procedures. And demand is growing.
4: One of the challenges is the cosmetic industry is really commercialised medicine.
1: Jason MacKaiser from the Australian Health Practitioner Regulatory Agency, which keeps an eye on our medical professionals, says advertising for injectables downplays their risk.
4: Social media makes things look really simple, but cosmetic surgery and cosmetic procedures, they're not like a haircut. A bad haircut will grow out but cosmetic surgery and procedures have risks that might not be so easy to fix.
1: He says we don't expect to get info on other types of medical procedures solely through advertising.
4: You don't see a lot of before and afters of patients that didn't get the result that they wanted, but you do see the before and afters of the patients who were who really happy with their result. That's not 100% of the results from any um, health practitioner.
1: Jason says the vast majority of practitioners do the right thing. APRA has set up a hotline for people to dob in the small proportion of dodgy practitioners who don't.
4: So that's been going for not quite 18 months and we've received over 600 calls. There's 14 health practitioners who are no longer performing cosmetic procedures as a result of interim regulatory action that we've taken in response to complaints.
2: You're listening to Hack on Triple J.
0: Shalala Maduro with that story. I want to know what you think of these changes. Like, if you're into injectables, is this going to change things for you? Hit the text line, 0439757555. Already hearing from you. Someone says, how on earth are they banning before and afters? That's a critical thing to have in order for me to know that you have a safe and experience and you're good at your job. Another person on Instagram, Kelly says, we need more transparency and to educate people, not scare them. It does look dodgy and it makes it hard for businesses to market themselves. Katie says, I'm still getting Botox. All right. Hasn't changed Katie's view there. Let's get into this a bit more now with an expert. Gemma Sharp is a senior clinical psychologist, specialises in body image and eating disorders. Also an associate professor with Monash Uni. G'day Gemma. Thanks for coming on Hack.
3: Thanks so much for having
0: me. We just heard a bit there with Shalila about how popular injectables are, but how big is this industry in Australia right now?
3: This is a huge industry and I heard you talk about $1 billion and that estimate is actually a few years old. I think it would be actually quite a bit higher now that Australians are spending every year. We actually spend more per capita than in the States, so we're big spenders here in Australia. And it's certainly growing a lot more than the traditional cosmetic surgeries, things like breast augmentation, rhinoplasty, the injectables are going gangbusters. That's
0: interesting, especially the per capita comparison with the US, something I Mm. wouldn't have expected. What about with younger Australians specifically? Because I think in the past, obviously, a lot of people have thought, oh, it's something you do when you get much older. But we're hearing a lot from our audience that people are doing it from a pretty young age.
3: That's true. So still the biggest market are people aged 35 to 50. So they are people who are starting to see those signs of aging, quote unquote, but um there's a burgeoning market in the late teens and 20s who are looking at the quote-unquote preventative measures of ageing.
0: So what do you make of these changes, Gemma? Like hearing from people now who are saying they don't think maybe it's going to make a huge difference, it could actually put people at risk. There are others that really support the regulation, the changes. What's your take?
3: Oh, gosh. I mean, I can understand everyone has such an opinion on this. And APRA and, uh, and the Medical Board of Australia have been making these changes over the last year or so. I'm fully supportive of it because I believe cosmetic medicine needed to be brought into line with other areas of medicine. We're health practitioners. We need to abide by what we're registered as. I can assure you in psychology, we've, we follow very strict guidelines and I think cosmetic medicine should be doing the same.
0: It's interesting, someone's texted in saying, I'm a pharmacist in Victoria, I understand the frustration here, but testimonials and advertising have always been a big no from the TGA. It's the same with all medications and some of these injectables are no different. You're listening to Hack, I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Gemma Scharf, a senior clinical psychologist, also associate professor with Monash Uni, about injectables, this huge industry and some new restrictions, regulations that are being brought in to crack down. Gemma, are there any concerns you have with this plan as it's been outlined?
3: I think what has happened is it seems to have caught people a little bit on the hop. So I do wonder if maybe people could have been given a little bit more warning. So it sounds like everyone is madly scrambling. Um, I think there is, of course, the opportunity for people to decide to, to go overseas and, and get these procedures done where there are less regulations and, and less safety precautions, let's face it. Um, so there is always that risk that, um, that potentially people might go underground, more of a black market for this. But I think Ultimately, these are very good changes and I'm so glad that Australia is leading the way around the world with these changes.
0: So if you're someone listening to this now who's thinking about going down this route, maybe you've been thinking about it for a while, what's your advice to that person, Gemma? What should they be aware of before they choose to dive into these procedures?
3: I think actually going to the business itself, speaking to the health practitioners there, I think relying on social media for your testimonials is a little unwise. It's always a very biased sample. I mean, imagine if you get the one out of the, out of a hundred who are actually happy and that's the only one they put on social media. So that's always the risk of the before and afters. And I'm I would um be treating it like any other medical consultation you have. Are you do you feel comfortable with this person? Are they explaining everything to you in terms that you can understand? Do you know the risks? Do you know some of the the bad outcomes as well as the good ones? So treat it like any other medical appointment. Don't treat it like a haircut.
0: From a psychologist's point of view, because you do specialise in body image, when do you know if you might be doing this for the wrong reasons? And that's not saying that everyone is, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are getting injectables and they're feeling great about themselves. There's no issue there. But when should you be aware that things might have taken a turn?
3: You're absolutely right that the vast majority of people have very good outcomes. And as a psychologist, it's not my job to gatekeep. I just advise on uh, what I think is the best course of action along with the, the surgeon or the treating practitioner. I think what we, I suppose, with people starting injectables so young is we're are we setting them up for, I suppose, a lifetime of these procedures? That's something that does bother me a lot. And I think certainly when people are coming back too soon after a previous appointment it does suggest that they're almost addicted to these fillers and that can be a sign of a uh, body dysmorphic disorder which is something we always look out for in cosmetic procedures. And that's where people have basically an insatiable appetite for cosmetic procedures, um, thinking that it will help them feel psychologically better when in fact it's quite the opposite.
0: Well, look, we do appreciate you breaking all of that down for us. Thank you very much for your time. Clinical psychologist Gemma Sharp, appreciate you being on Hack. Thank you so much for having me. we still got a lot of messages coming through on the text line, on Instagram as well. If you want to know more, have it all spelled out for you, you can check out Hack's Instagram page, and we've done a full explainer there. Hack.
2: Some animals would have to be removed from the ship to decrease stocking density before
5: a longer journey to avoid the strife-torn Red Sea.
3: On Triple Jack.
0: Yeah, they've been trapped at sea for 26 days, almost a month. Thousands of sheep, cattle in sweltering conditions on board a ship that's right now anchored off the coast of WA near Fremantle. Both farmers and animal welfare groups are pretty upset about why these animals have been stuck in limbo for so long. And they're accusing the government of failing to properly plan for the fate of these animals. So what's happened? To explain, here's Hacks regional reporter, April McLennan. Potential
2: heat stress, poor ventilation, standing in their own waste. They'd be extremely stressed. At the start of January, more than 15,000 sheep and cattle trotted on board this big livestock ship called the MV Bahija. It left Australia and began its voyage to the Middle East. But two weeks into the journey, the federal government ordered the ship to turn back because of the security situation in the Red Sea. It's one of the busiest shipping routes in the world, but it's pretty unsafe to travel through there at the moment because of Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. They're this militant group based in Yemen, and they've been attacking cargo ships in this channel of water.
0: The Houthis are a rebel group that control large parts of Yemen and have been attacking commercial ships in the Red Sea since late last year. They say in support of Hamas, the Palestinian group fighting Israel in Gaza.
2: So this ship with all the sheep and cattle had to turn around and come all the way back to Australia, where it's been anchored about 10 kilometers off the coast of Fremantle in WA. The animals have now been stuck on board the vessel for 26 days, and it's left farmers pretty frustrated.
4: To not come up with a plan over that period where the livestock were travelling back, that's the frustrating part and still not having a plan now. There's two options here. We can unload these livestock and, and either re-export or process here, or we can re-export them on the ship the place that they were going to initially.
2: That's Jeff Pearson. He's the WA Farmers Livestock President and he reckons the best option is to re-export all the animals as soon as possible, which he says would help minimise biosecurity risks.
4: It's under the situation of going into a long-haul voyage, we may have to relax some of the, the numbers on the on the ship. Potentially, there will be some form of livestock offloaded. There'll be potentially a, a small amount of sheep, which will go to direct to slaughter, and potentially a small amount of cattle to go as well, which is probably around about that sort of four to 500 head.
2: It's not just the agricultural industry that's frustrated with how the governments are responding here. Ben Cave from WA's RSPCA says there's been no transparency.
4: We've been asking state government, federal government what the plan is. It appears at the moment there is no coherent plan. We would certainly hope there is very quickly. Um, This is a risk of the animal welfare with live export.
2: And while the animals are on the ship, there are big worries about their welfare. It's been pretty hot in Perth this week. After days of heatwave conditions, the forecast today was 39 degrees. In a statement, the federal government said,
4: The exporter's registered veterinarian on board the vessel is recording details of the health and welfare of the livestock each day, and this information is being provided to the department. All reports to date indicate that there are no signs of any significant health or welfare concerns with the livestock on board.
2: The government says it's also sussing out if it's worth getting an independent vet onto the ship to check out some of the animals, and they're still deciding if they'll allow the exporter to unload some of the livestock in Australia before it re exports the rest of the animals. That is, if the intended market in the Middle East still actually wants these cows and sheep. Meanwhile, Tassie MP Andrew Wilkie is calling for a suspension of all shipments to the Red Sea until the conflict in the region's over. Now, to give credit
5: to the federal Labor government, they are progressing a plan to phase out live sheep exports to the Middle East, but we're having consultation after consultation And there is still not even a date provided by the government for when the ban will come into place.
2: And Andrew Wilkie thinks the regulator's decision to grant the exporter a permit for the vessel to go via the Red Sea is inexcusable.
5: What we do fear is that plans are afoot to actually send the vessel via the Cape of Good Hope, the alternative way around to Israel, which would be another 33 days at sea. This is no
0: way to treat Australian livestock. Hack. On Triple J. April McLennan with that update. And look, this is a story that we're going to be hearing quite a bit about over the next few days, I imagine. Someone on the text line says, I feel like every few years we have a new story of poor live export animals being mistreated or being in a situation like this, and yet not much changes. Uh, Interesting to hear the different takes. Obviously, whether it's animal rights advocates, farmers as well, both really concerned about what's happened here, how it's been handled. We will make sure that we keep you across the developments and and what happens over the next few days. Hack. TikTok is literally the number one platform for getting your music exposed out here, Okay,
3: On Triple Jack. I
0: don't know if you saw this massive news that broke earlier. Universal Music Group. The world's biggest music company, representing the biggest artists, people like Taylor Swift, Kendrick, even artists like Elton John, is threatening to cut ties with TikTok. UMG, Universal, has a current deal with TikTok, but it's about to expire within hours. And it's accusing TikTok of bullying them into another bad music rights deal. That's what it's saying. Saying it's not paying artists what they deserve, and so now it's saying, that's it. We're going to pull our music from the platform. Now, you don't have to know a lot about music or a lot about TikTok to understand that this is massive and it's going to have huge implications if it happens. So what exactly does it all mean? Well, Zan Rowe is our national music correspondent, Triple J legend, of course, knows everything about music. And she's with us now. G'day, Zan. Thanks for coming on Hack. Hi, Dave. What exactly has Universal said here? Like, what are the big issues that have got them blasting TikTok like this?
5: Well, this is a really big story. They are going to cease licensing their music to TikTok once the deal expires on January 31st today. That's so. That's within the next day, the next few hours in the Northern Hemisphere where headquarters is based. And this is following a long negotiation where UMG failed to reach a new deal with TikTok over what they say are three critical issues. Appropriate compensation for their artists and songwriters, protecting human artists from the harmful effects of AI and online safety for TikTok's users. So these are the three sticking points and they've pulled the deal hours before the current deal expires
0: has it come out of nowhere have there been some rumblings or discussions that this might be on the cards for a while
5: well it's kind of come as a big surprise to me and i think that unless you're in the in the weeds of the music industry i'm not alone just three years ago universal struck a global agreement with tiktok they said at the time that it delivered equitable compensation for recording artists and songwriters and significantly enhanced and expanded their existing relationship. They were glowing about this deal. And as with all deals in any kind of industry, you've renewed them. Three years has passed, they would have been working on something and they've hit this stalemate and seemingly out of nowhere at the absolute 11th hour, they've pulled it. One of the biggest flexes I've ever seen in the music industry. Well,
0: I'm wondering because you spelled out just how much influence uh, Universal has. Is there a chance that this could blow up even more and we could see other labels get in on this action as well?
5: Well, it's kind of interesting because Warner Music, which is another one of the majors, they just signed a multi-year, multi-platform deal with TikTok last July. So within the last six months or so. The other label that we're thinking of is a label like Sony. There's lots of indie labels, but if you think about the three majors, Universal, Warner and Sony... Sony could step in behind Universal in this negotiation. They could buy their time. Who knows? But it will be really fascinating to see which groups, which labels step in potentially behind Universal and back them up on this huge
0: call. One of the interesting things I noticed when I was looking into this today was UMG making a really big point in their open letter of stressing that TikTok actually isn't that important to its bottom line, which I think might surprise a lot of people.
5: Yeah, they said that it makes up about 1% of their total total revenue. But despite massive growth on the platform, as we've all seen and its use of music, that hasn't really changed. And I think that that percentage is obviously for, you know, a company, which we've got to remind ourselves, labels are a big company. That percentage is tiny. But the audience visibility from an artist's perspective, that's a whole other question, you know. As we all know, a piece of music that takes off on TikTok can, can launch a career, it can revive an old song that we haven't heard in the charts in 20 or 30 years and it can completely change the fortunes of artists.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of talk around the big names in this story, like when whether we talk about Taylor Swift or Kendrick. What do you think it means, though, for emerging artists, smaller artists?
5: Well, I think that, you know, for better or worse, TikTok has become a huge music discovery and amplification for users and for artists. Just last October, TikTok Music was launched. It's launched in quite a few different regions around the world. It launched in Australia in October. This is a music streaming and social platform. And I sort of wonder what does it mean for that part of TikTok and the artists who have started building their profiles and their communities there who have logged in. I think that you've we've seen it, you know, with artists like Halsey, Florence Welch and many other artists, both famous and just emerging, talk publicly about how they've been really encouraged to get on TikTok by their label, by their management, to really use the platform to amplify their reach because everyone's on it. And now all of a sudden overnight all the Universal artists are being pulled. So I'm sure that there is a lot of confusion and definitely a lot of frustration around that from an artist's perspective.
0: Mm, This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with music expert Zan Rowe about this big news out today you might have seen. Universal Music Group is threatening to cut ties with TikTok, saying it's being bullied into a new deal that it doesn't want to sign up to. I'm hearing from you on the text line, also on Instagram as well. Sienna says, interesting decision. As an indie artist, TikTok has helped me re Reach millions of new listeners, but does that exposure equal money? Can an artist pay their living expenses with exposure? No, they can't. Mia says, This is fantastic. It's going to help Jen Alpha's taste in music. That's Mia's take there. And then Josh says, I'm interested in what happens next because a lot of songs are getting discovered on TikTok and then take off. So, what is this going to mean for music tastes? Zanro, how much of an impact do you reckon AI has had on this decision to blast TikTok by Universal? Because TikTok's made it no secret that it is investing a lot into this technology when it comes to music.
5: Yeah, this was a really interesting part of Universal's argument for me. It's not just about the financial compensation coming directly from licensing. Universal are really taking issue with AI and particularly the flooding of AI-generated recordings on their platform and the tools that TikTok themselves are developing to enable, to promote and to encourage that creation. And then they demand, TikTok that is, a contractual right which would allow this content to really dilute that royalty pool for human artists, you know, there's so much in there, but actually, who's getting paid—the machine or the or the human artist? And Universal, in this open letter, said that that was nothing short of sponsoring artist replacement by AI. This is a real fear in creatives worlds thinking about how quickly AI is getting better and better. You might have also seen the recent news about the Taylor Swift deep fake pornography that yeah. appeared on X formerly known as Twitter. This is a real concern as well to Universal in the, their open letter they said that you know TikTok are really making very little effort to deal with these AI altered images and the deep fakes of their artists on their platforms let alone this huge tidal wave of of hate speech, of bigotry, of bullying and harassment.
0: So has TikTok had anything to say after this big open letter, this explosion?
5: Not officially. And the company are very famously tight-lipped. They don't give a lot away. But according, again, to Universal from their open letter, they said that when they proposed that TikTok take similar steps as other digital platforms to try and address those issues of AI and also of of, of paying, you know, a fair amount to their artists, they said that TikTok responded first with indifference and then with intimidation. And that included selectively removing the music of certain of their developing artists while keeping on the platform our audience-driving global stars. That's Universal's claim. It's not something that's been backed up by TikTok, but they've come out and said that publicly in the way that they've been trying to make a way towards this
0: deal. Very, very interesting. I mean, Zan, when you talk about music, whether it's with artists themselves or with consumers, one of the big things that always comes up is the influence of TikToks on music trends, current trends broadly. Is it something that you are often chatting about with artists, with others in the music industry?
5: 100%. And music is always shifting, and some music is shifting because of TikTok. This is a fact, everyone can hear it. You can hear when an artist has created a song with a hook that's going to work perfectly in a 15 second grab and nothing more. There's really, I've noticed as well, and I've spoken about with other people in the industry, that kind of dissolution of of genre and segregated tastes within audiences too. It's real. No one has, you know, stays in a kind of subculture and that's their lane. Everyone loves everything, not just in style and in geography, but also from all eras. We've got all this music accessed at our fingertips, and that is changing the way that we value and think about music. But it's not new, just like many different kinds of digital distribution that came before it. It's changing the way that music is made. It's changing the way that music sounds like. Whether you like that or dislike that is a whole other conversation. (laughs) Um, But this is something that's always happened. It's just happening at a much faster rate.
0: Suzanne, big question. How do you think this is all going to play out? Because it looks like we're going to have a lot of news potentially over the next day. What do you think is going to happen?
5: I don't know, Dave, and I'm going to be watching (laughs) so closely. I mean, do TikTok need Universal? Do Universal need TikTok? These are questions that everyone's going to be asking This is, as I said, the biggest flex I've seen in the music industry in a long time. It'll be fascinating to see who, if anyone, buckles first, but I'll be there with the popcorn in the front (laughs) row, keenly watching every moment.
0: It's a huge move and I knew you'd be across it. So thankful you could break it all down for us. Zanro, thank you very much for coming on Hack.
5: Thanks, Dave. Hack on Triple J.
0: That is our music expert correspondent just all-round legend Zan Rowe. Lots of messages on this one. Someone says if Universal pulling their music means music doesn't get TikTok to death then I'm all for it. But then someone else, Lucas on Instagram says nah, I don't agree with it. Like, don't see why artists should need to be compensated for a 30 second sound bite on a free platform. It's literally free advertising for your music. There you go. That's Lucas's opinion. Also, a lot of messages we've had on the injectable story that we had a bit earlier. Eleanor from Orange says, I'm a cosmetic injector. I absolutely welcome these changes as there are many clinics out there that are leading potential patients down the wrong path and they can be really dodgy. These safety measures are put in place to benefit the community. They're difficult to work with, but also really important. Well, that is all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. We'll be back tomorrow.
3: I'll catch you then. See ya. Hack.